Hello and welcome to another episode of the Copcast Football. <laughs> Let's try that again. Edit. <laughs> oh dear, good start. Did you hello, record? Have you hit record, eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, hello and welcome to another episode of the Copcast Podcast. Uh, we're coming to you after two Liverpool two. Um, to discuss that with me, I've got Neil Patterson. We are a race of frustrated and um, probably vindicated pundits, if we can even loosely use that term to describe ourselves tonight, um, based on our previous concerns about the standard of refereeing in the Premier League. And Chief, it was it was a classic Premier League game that offers everything the Premier League promises brand-wise. It was exciting. It was end-to-end. There was, you know, talking points, discussion points. There was quality. There was madness. And there was absolutely horrendous dog shit refereeing. So it's everything that the Premier League's promised over the last few years. And it delivered massively, I thought. Absolutely. It, it, it had those things in abundance. It was a breathless game. It was I mean, as the most irritating commentary duo uh, in in British broadcasting history, in my opinion. Martin Tyler and Gary Neville kept telling us it was, you know, a rip roaring, swashbuckling, uh, end to end game, which which had a little bit of everything, and unfortunately was peppered with diabolical refereeing um, decisions. So yeah, I mean. It's one of them. Um, the referee has a massive effect on the game, um, and I don't think you could, you can really imagine um, how different the game could have been had certain decisions, which seem absolutely cut and dry, just just been given and, and gone the way they essentially should have. Um, but as it was, the game we were served up was, as a Liverpool fan, entirely frustrating. Um, we 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 start well, but then give away a sloppy goal. Um, um, we leave Harry Kane free in that channel, which was poor, given we'd we'd sort of been warned a couple of moments earlier when he when he'd had a chance and Kanate got across with a sort of last ditch block. Um, so yeah, I think Robertson for large parts in the game, Chief, is excellent. You know, he's influential. He makes a goal. He scores a goal. And he has the he first obviously. chance, which he could bury and probably should bury as well with that header. Totally. Um, but we've, for me, He's played him on side there, and he shouldn't. Yeah, and it's not the first time we've said that this season. And I, I'm not trying to dig him out here or anything, but um, it's becoming a bit of a trend that it's a recurrent theme, and it, it's frustrating because we talk about. This Liverpool side of this year, obviously, in 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 comparison to the the title winning side and and the side that came so close, but also won the European Cup the year before, and we we say maybe it's a blend of the two. And uh, but I'll tell you something: both those sides would have caught Harry Kane offside there. Um, it usually certainly in the title winning season, you just you knew if anyone got in behind us, they were offside. Um, it was just a given. How often did that happen week after week? You know, maybe maybe did even score, but it would be chalked off the offside because they were we were so good, our line was so drilled and 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 perfect. But you know, it's it's one of those where we've had to change the back four again um, because of the COVID situation, and maybe that's had an effect. But it is something that was was. Uh, preying on on all Liverpool fans' minds earlier in the season before Robbo sort of had his wee rest period that um, that he was too often the one playing opposition forwards onside uh, at crucial times when he should have been further up the pitch. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of them. So we're playing catch up, and that's never really a good position to be in. But we managed to get level. Um, um, and this, despite certain decisions going our way, not going our way, um, and then we get ahead, you know, and we're going to come on to I think talk about each end, sort of each or highlight each each individual decision. But that comes also 
with two kind of controversial moments. Um, you know, going the other way. First of all, the the, the Delhi Alley um, stumble in the box, which is not given as a penalty, and for me and for the commentary team at the time, even though previously referenced that they're awful, they neither of them thought it was a penalty. Um, and it just didn't look like it. The hand goes on the back, but it, the way Del, you, you often look at players' reactions, and he doesn't claim, he doesn't look at the referee. He just lies there with his face on the ground and gets up rather sheepishly, um, not claiming in in any way. And then the ball's up the other end, and we score. And there's that thing with the handball, but it's just a rule now that that isn't. It's not going to be disallowed for that because it's an accidental handball, and uh, Spurs have the chance to clear it in between the ball hitting Salah's hand and um, the ball hitting the back of the net. So, new phase of play, new new play, as as the Americans would say, and uh, therefore, you know, quite rightly a goal. So, at that point, you're like, you know, now just shut it down. And then, of course, we've got moments later, the uncharacteristic mistake by Allison, and, you know, you can't take him out because he's, He's a fantastic goalkeeper, but you really just could have done without that. And it's a horrible way to having clawed your way back um, from so many sort of kicks in the shins and and uh, knocks knocks in the game uh, to then sort of essentially throw it away by by doing that. Yeah, yeah. So is just it- on the keeper, just on the keeper. See yeah. why we're here. For me, for all the kids out there. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a Peter Schmeichel performance. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely brilliant. Some unbelievable saves. Um, the finger sip, the fingertip save from Dele Alli's, um one that you think it's a goal as soon as he strikes it. You think it before he strikes it. You think as soon as you see there. the ball popping up to him, you, yeah. and, and Son's got squeezed it through. You just think this is in. Yeah, and it's coming at no pace at all. He's all the time in the world to pick a spot, make good contact, which he does both those things, and somehow he fingertips around the post. Great that one-on-one. would have been 2-0, and very yeah. difficult to come back from. 100%. Great one-on-one performance, you know, um, probably a few that are offside, but he still does that thing where he just, like, the, the one that sums offside, he just does some. Son's no idea what to do, and he, he it's a kind of half-assed attempt to go around him because I think... I think he wins a mental battle with Son there as he's running through on him because he doesn't know what to do. And by the time he decides what to do, he tries to kind of half, half-heartedly half go around him and Alisson just, just takes him. The save from Kane is amazing. But as revered as Peter Schmeichel was there were a few. as a goalkeeper, mm. Schmeichel had those moments in him as well. Um, And we all know, well, people from my generation and your generation would all know that if that was Schmeichel that that had happened to, there'd be two or three boys getting absolutely dug out by him. He'd be shouting at people, telling them what they did wrong, um, deflected attention away from me, dropped an absolute fucking howler. But Alison doesn't. He's a bit more humble and, and responsible and mature than that, and that's fine. But it's easy to criticise him for a terrible, terrible mistake but it doesn't take away from his outstanding performance on the day. The thing that frustrates me about goalkeepers in general doing that is he could just run out and kick it away. He doesn't need to do that kind of slide, kick it away thing where the ball ends up kind of popping over his leg, you know? No, absolutely. I mean, I think he, but that's a bit sort of his, his trademark, isn't it? He, he's very good at yeah. that. He's Swept up a couple of times earlier in the in the game, but he just takes his eye off the ball, doesn't he? Just slightly, just takes his eye off the ball ever so slightly, and it's popped up over him. And it's basically an air shot, isn't it? It's like he slid underneath it almost. It's um, yeah. The thing is about that sliding thing, Chief, is once you go down the slide, you've you've little, you've less ability to react. Something that might happen, so the ball pops up and he can't move his he can't move his foot. No, you know he can't he, move his leg. If he stays in his feet, he's able to do that. Um, but you're right, it's it's not just an Allison thing. It's it's a goalkeeping thing in in general. It must be something that's coached. It must be go down, make yourself big. The ball's already on the ground, so 
you know, if it's nicked around you or something, you're a big, you're a bigger object. Um, but on that occasion, it just takes this weird little pop. It's almost like one of those, like the McManaman, and I think John Barnes as well, the, the Blackburn one where Tim Flowers gets down and one day <laughs> kind of just gathered up and it just hits something and just pops up over him. That's, a, a, little, that's a Stan Collymore goal, I'm sure. Like there was a, there was a McManaman one. There might have been a Collymore one as well. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so it kind of does that, and I kind of feel for him in that way. It happened to Tim Flores quite a bit that season. I think he got done a couple of times. He was unlucky because he was a good keeper. Yeah. But yes, it it sort of takes a, a funny bounce maybe. But as you say, you know, once you commit to the slide, there's very little margin for error, and you've got to make a clean, firm contact. And when you do, the ball goes miles, and you know. You're sorted. He's, as I said, he'd, he'd done it earlier in the in the game, and he's done it many times. Uh, but when it goes wrong, you look like an absolute plum, and you know it's it's a guaranteed goal because you you've taken yourself out of the equation, just like a you know a a centre back or a centre half diving in. diving in. Absolutely, it's 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 the, the thing. Thing is, if it's a centre half diving in, you're not the last man. Well, you're not literally the last. Yeah, literally the last man. Yeah, yeah. The very last man. Yeah. So it's an empty net, and you know, some wasn't going to miss. So it's an annoying game. It, for me, it was a wee bit like it reminded me of that two-two we had with Spurs a few seasons ago, where Salah scores the Worley. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, and they get a penalty. Two penalties. And, I think there's two penalties. I think one's saved, and then they get another one. But yeah, I, I remember that one. Um, Salah scores in injury time and they get a yeah. penalty right afterwards. Yeah, um, and you think that's a goal worthy of winning any game as well. And, you know, oh. and they, they get a dodgy pen and, you know, it's 2-2. And it felt a bit like that because their second goal, their first goal should have been prevented and their second goal absolutely should have been prevented, you know. Yeah, on the other hand, though, to be fair to Spurs. They, they miss a lot of chances, yeah. Yeah, they missed a lot of chances, and they they could they could have been out of sight, you know, in the first kind of half an hour. Um, but I think there's something to be said, obviously, there. But it's not just them having an off day. I mean, it's who's who's in front of them whenever they've got that final shot, like. Yeah. You should, but you know, doing son, I think that's in their minds, just like De Gea used to be in 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 the minds of the Premier League strikers and certainly Liverpool strikers for a while. I think Allison. I think you know he's he's held in very high esteem by by Premier League strikers. You know they know they have to put it right on the money, they have to put it right in the corner. Um, and he's such a such a presence whenever he's in a one on one, as you mentioned earlier, that he backs himself and stays big and sort of you know backs himself to make to make the right decision. Nine times out of ten, or at least eight times out of ten, he, he comes out on top. Yeah, so look, we'll 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 get to the we'll get to the protection in front of Allison yeah, shortly, but you know, yeah, the the, the ref and his mate up in the, the the well wherever the fuck they are. Some what was it they called? They used to call it Stockley Park or whatever. Stockley Park, the, yeah, no, and even there anymore, from. they're just in an underground bunker now. Yeah, and <laughs> probably probably safer for them the way they're performing at the minute. Um. So yeah, Klopp's Klopp's annoyed. Doesn't understand. He, he confronts Tierney at the end. Can't understand. You know why does he? He doesn't have a problem with referees. He has a problem with him because because he feels that he has a problem with us. And you know, you think it's a bit petulant, but when you look at the the, the stats, yeah, it's it's very very strange. Um. The 40% of the yellow cards that have been received this season by by Liverpool have been given by by Paul Tierney, and he's only um, refereed 14% of our games. Um, it's 11 from from 27 um, yellow cards, and, and he's refereed three games out of I think 21. So you know, is that even 14%? If I got that wrong, no, it is. It's about 14%. Yeah. So and it's the only red card that that we've that we've received. So 
And to be fair, it's probably a red. So I don't really have any qualms with that. But I think the issue and the, the two big issues aren't on cards. All that does is highlight a trend. The first is the Kane tackle. Now, you know, I saw a quote from Mark Clattenburg, um, and we all kind of have a laugh at Clats because he gets tattoos of his like Champions League games and finals that he's refereed with it, like a Champions League trophy on his on his calf or whatever, and he's a bit cringe. But he was. He was a top referee. Yeah, and and you know, it's a bit like one of those scenarios where sometimes you don't appreciate a player until they're not playing. Well, we, we probably didn't appreciate we miss Clats. Yeah, we do. We miss Clats. We miss Uriah Rennie. You know, we, we miss guys like this that he's always got a hard time. This batch is fucking pathetically horrendous and awful at their jobs. Clattenberg's quoted as saying, if Harry Kane's lunge on Andy Robertson isn't a red card, then I'm not sure what is. The tackle is high, it's above the ankle, studs are showing, and it's late. Um, it doesn't have a good look from any angle. By jumping out of the way, Robertson avoids damage. Kane gets away with his lunge as referee Paul Tierney shows only a yellow, with VAR Chris Cavanagh deciding it was not a clear and obvious error. I'd have shown Kane a red. Just because you're the England captain doesn't mean you have any special leeway to commit bad challenges. I've never treated important English internationals any different. Now, Kane, I find this interesting on Kane because there was a period of time and he's consistently doing that thing when the ball was pumped up to him and it was a 50-50 aerial duel. And what he would do is he wouldn't jump. He would arch his back and allow the other player to literally fall over oh, him and, la- yeah. and land on his shoulder, sometimes his neck, potentially his head, to win a free kick or potentially a penalty. And it was never, ever, ever um, penalised because that is dangerous. And we talk about, if you talk about the route endangering another player's safety, I don't think there's anything in the game more dangerous than that particular behaviour that Kane showed. A leg break is a leg break and it's terrible. You do somebody's ankle, you can get like an Aaron Ramsey kind of Shaw cross challenge or whatever. But that could literally, that, that behaviour or that action could literally paralyse someone, you know. And the, re- the the point here is, Chief, all of a sudden, he just stopped doing it. Now, it wasn't a yellow card or a red card that stopped him doing this. So my kind of quandary here is there's got to be a reason. It's, it's cause and effect, essentially. You know, what's caused him to stop that? And I can only assume that someone from the PMO, whatever the fuck they're called. PGML. Um, yeah, the incompetent organization. To, I can only presume that someone has contacted Spurs or contacted him to say, listen, this can't go on. Or whether it's the FA or whatever, this can't go on. This is dangerous. You're going to have to stop doing that because he just stopped doing it. And there is a thing here that can gets away with more. And... Kane gets away prime, with murder. Kane gets prime away. example of it. A prime example. It's it's inconceivable that a, a a video assistant referee can look at that tackle, see that a yellow card was was issued, watch that tackle again, watch another angle of it, watch a third angle of it, and not say to the on-field referee. You've made a mistake. Go and have a look on the monitor. Either overrule it straight away and issue the red, which it was clear enough to do, or you know take the third way, which is offered now, and say to Paul Tierney, "Listen, I think you might need to have a second look," which he's quite capable of doing because he he did it for the Robo Challenge. And whether Robo's is a red or not, it probably is. But the point is, the referee on the pitch doesn't give the red; he gives a yellow. 
But the video assistant referee watches that back and deems that that is a clear and obvious error. And he should go and look at the video and change his mind. But he doesn't think that Harry Kane jumping in from, let's say, two yards away at full pace with leg fully outstretched, one leg over the ball, second leg following in under the ball, which actually sort of makes contact with the ball. He makes contact with his trailing leg, which actually leaves the floor as he jumps as well. So at one point, both feet are, are off the ground. Makes contact with a straight leg over the ball at shin height with Andy Robertson. How that's not deemed worthy of a second look or just issuing the straight red is it's not incompetence. It's a decision that I will not send Harry Kane off here. I will not draw the referee's attention to that, even though it hits, as Mark Clattenburg has said, and even even Gary Neville mentioned in commentary, it pretty much ticks all the boxes for reckless endangerment um, of being totally out of control. When, As you mentioned pre-pod, when the referee's TV spokesman, essentially Peter Walton, cannot come up with any way to defend the decision and basically says Harry Kane's got away with one, um, it just shows you how clearly wrong that sequence of events was. And that's what sickens you because as I've just mentioned, they're quite, he's quite capable of, of having that word in the air as he showed later in the game. And you can say the Robertson ones are red, but what you can say is that in the context of Harry Kane, not getting sent that it is a red because it's not, if you're not going to send Kane off for that, then you're not going to send Robertson off for that. And, Either you apply the law fairly or you don't apply it fairly, you know, but you don't apply it in the same way, essentially. So you didn't give the red for Kane. Well, I'm not going to, I'm going to stick with the refs on the on field refs decision on this one as well. Because the safety of the opponent was endangered far more in Harry Kane's attempted tackle. It wasn't even, he wasn't trying to get the ball. He knew he'd overrun it. He knew he would probably get away with it, and he absolutely launched himself. He's totally out of control. And it's high, as has been echoed by former referees and pundits alike. It's high. It's late. It's over the top of the ball. It's out of control. Both feet are off the ground. It's it's an absolutely horrendous tackle. For me, it's worse than Paul Pogba's tackle, where he does get sent. Yeah, I think it is. I thought about this as well. Pogba's looks worse because when you say it's over the top of the ball, it's literally over the top of the ball. His foot rolls over the top of the ball when he catches Kaida. But I think but that I think that makes it look worse. Do you know what I mean? Um, because the ball has almost elevated Pogba's foot to an, an even more dangerous height. Whereas the Harry, Kane's, whereas the, the, Harry the, fact Kane, is that, the fact is that Kane's high foot isn't even anywhere near the ball. No, and the ball's bouncing as well. So it's not even that the ball is is on the ground. You know, the ball is, it's not a high bounce, but it's 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 off the ground. So Harry Kane's foot is is two inches over the ball, and the ball is is not on the ground. He catches Robertson mid shin. And if Robertson's foot is planted, it's snap. It's David Boost all over again. Yeah, it's a funny one here, Chief, because this is the other thing that's. The, the, I think this is the thing that's probably annoyed me more is this pathetic attempt to justify their decision to say, well, it wasn't a red card because Robertson jumped away from the tackle. That's I, absolute nonsense. That, it's of course it's nonsense. Of course it's nonsense. And it's this reinterpretation of the laws to suit the decisions that they make. And, you know, there's a rule in there that also states that the word intent, the word intent is used an awful lot and it's quoted an awful lot. And there is intent there. Um, tackle is high. Again, all of these terms, out of control. Out of control. Ball, out of control. Reckless endangerment another yeah. one that's thrown in there. And it ticks all of those boxes. So, 
personally have a lot more respect for the referees and, and VARs if they just came out afterwards and said, listen, we're really sorry. We got that one wrong. And I, I would be like, do you know what? Fair enough. Fair enough. You got it wrong. You're big enough to stand up and say, I fucked up. I'll try and be better at my job the next time. I know it's not going to change the result of the game or the outcome or blah, blah, blah. Because if Kane gets sent off then, you know, they're really under the cost. They're done. Really? I mean, there might be one. I think they're one up at the time. But they are the whole, one up at the time. But the thing is... But the change, whole game changes because... Well, the, it's, 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 he's, he's 50% of their game plan, essentially. Oh, 100%. It's him and Son Con- in behind. Conte's uh, high-energy football... Re- they can't afford to go down ten to ten men. They rely on they rely on on marking the spaces, on blocking off the passes. You can't go down to ten men against Liverpool for eighty minutes. I mean, we almost won the game anyway, eleven v eleven, coming back from one down. So eleven v ten for eighty minutes of the game. Forget about it. And that's what I was saying when I was talking at the very start. The game would have been entirely different as to exactly what would have happened. We can't say. Nobody will ever know. But it would have been entirely different to how the game transpired. So the referees have had a huge effect there. And what you're saying about coming out and saying they made a mistake, yeah. I thought that up to a certain point. But the fact is, you can't come out and say we got that wrong now because you you shouldn't ever get it wrong now. Yeah, I get that, Chief. But the point You're here watching that- it on a slow motion video you can see every angle you can see it all there's no scope for making an error that bad so it's not an error yeah i agree and i think you know what i mean it's the error in the first case is fine the rest yeah on the pitch fine although even on you you're you're seeing harry kane running and the second he he launches himself you're going that's red that's that's got to be a red that's red but yeah. Fair enough. The referee wants to give the yellow, and he's got VAR there as, the, as his backup to sort and of. You're, and you almost maybe think, and I'm going to be really, really generous here and give the ref kind of the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, if I give a yellow here, if I'm wrong, my mate mm-hmm. up there will, mm-hmm. will protect me. And exactly. What what he doesn't do is mate. I think personally, is mate thinks he's protecting him by backing him up but actually he's doing him a disservice because he's exposing him and he's made this a massive fucking talking point. So actually I think the VAR in this occasion, and we'll get to the Jody occasion in a second, the VAR hangs Tierney out the dry. That's not to excuse Tierney from being like just terrible at his job, but or just again determined not to send Harry Kane off. Yeah. Because I would say, had any of our players thrown in a tackle like that in that first ten minutes, they'd have got they'd have got sent. And again, we can't we can't um, you know speculate as to what how true that is or not. But it's a, it's certainly a feeling I have, and you have, and a lot of non Spurs fans have that Harry Kane gets special treatment. Um, and and he knows it, you know, because he's he loves to throw an elbow in as well. Like he's, he's he he knows that he gets away with with murder. He goes down easily. He used to do that bridge, as you say. He's all elbows when he's up in a challenge. He throws in a tackle like that the other day, and he knows he's not going to get sent. You know, he, and it's it takes away the enjoyment watching a game. In that circumstance, it takes it just makes you angry. Do you know what I mean? It just makes you feel like you're absolutely being cheated. And then we're going to go on to talk about the Jada pen, which is again, it's as as clear as day. Yeah, and again, this is another one. It's clear as day, Chief. It's so obvious. And then this ridiculous uh, narrative that's trotted afterwards to justify the referee making the decision that he does and the VAR not overruling him is that Jota stopped. Right. So are you not allowed to stop running on the football pitch? That's the that's the whole point. Get your body in front. How many how many free kicks have you seen when the ball is rolling out for a bye ball, it's slowing up, it's not getting there, and the defender stops. 
wait till yeah. the contract and falls over, and it's yeah. it's 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 a free kick. Every in every game, in every game it, you ever see, that and happens. it's one of the most frustrating free kicks for me. Personally, because I just think, just just step back, half half a foot, and he's not going to fall over. Yeah. yeah, don't be so fucking stupid. But it's it's always a free kick, even though it's not a free kick. It's always a free kick. That is ten times more of a force. He's coming in from the side as well. There's two of them there. If one doesn't foul him, the other one does. And it's as blatant as blatant can be. It again, yeah. it's one of those ones where you're watching the TV, like the Kane one, and you're thinking, how's that not a fucking rare? How's that not a penalty? And then what you do is you naively put your trust in VAR to think, right, the VAR's going to sort that out. And they well, never do. They never do. Well, I Unless it's against you. <laughs> there's been this thing from last season to this season where to stop things being forensically analysed, the rule is that there it, it, we have gone to the point where the the directive to the bar is only get involved if it's a clear and obvious error, which is fine, which is fine, okay? But if get involved referee, when it is a clear and obvious error, for fuck's yeah, sake, I mean... If the referees are actually good. So what we're, not, what we're now back to is we're back to the point in two, two, two points here. First of all, that we are now seeing the referees being even more exposed for how poor they actually are. And the second point is, for this to be allowed for referees to trot out this ridiculous reinterpretation of the rules and justification as to why they've made a decision, all that does is enable them to continue to be poor at their job because they're not totally. held to account for making there's bad no, decisions. There's no accountability whatsoever, and that's why we're in a position... What other sport is there out there where there is such ridiculous ambiguity over what are actual rules of the game? You know, how is it possible for them to trot out a new excuse every week to justify everything when when there are, you know, hundreds of ex-players out there pundit, doing the pundit and presenting shows there are ones, of course, who do very little research, but there are ones who are very, very clued in and know pretty much what there is to know about the new in, new rules and, and all of that. And and this bullshit just gets trotted out, as you say, to justify any kind of crap decision. They just make shit up. And it's never actually questioned. It might it might cause a little stir and people discuss it for but you know, it's never actually Nobody actually says, no, hold on a minute, that's bollocks. Why are you why are you deciding, you know, and, and basically affecting the fate of billion pound, billion dollar institutions here through applying rules that essentially don't exist? What is it what is in it for you? Basically, where's the corruption here? I mean, for me, it's this is the perfect and it always has been the perfect breeding ground for endemic corruption because you have a culture of where well where there's no accountability you have a culture where there's no effectively no punishment you have a culture where there's no investigation you're basically you've got you're, you've got carte blanche to do what you want and nobody seriously questions you. There are horrendous decisions being made week in, week out. And of course, everybody just puts it down. Most people just put it down to oh, incompetence. Yeah, at a certain level, probably there is always room for human incompetence and fallibility. And that's what makes the fact that referees are essential, essentially have set themselves up as infallible, even harder to swallow. You will be wrong. As you mentioned earlier, there'll be many times when you'll be wrong. Come out and say it. Come out and explain it. Go through your thought process. Tell us why. You know, don't close ranks and then come up with some bullshit three days later. You know, to basically deflect and and essentially lie when you've got your story straight. Be accountable. When there's no accountability, corruption is 
a given because why not? You know, nobody's investigating you. You get paid decently as a as a Premier League referee, but the amount of money that's washing around in the game, you're telling me they're not going to be tempted? If there's money on the go, yes, they will, 100%. And, of course, they will have been approached. So I'm not saying, you know, that we're going to have – we're necessarily going to have a cultural poly type situation, but you're setting yourself up for that. And when you look, actually, you're creating, you look at, you're creating an environment to almost encourage it. A hundred percent. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And you see it in other institutions and you've seen it in the governing bodies. Well, I think, I think, yeah, but I think we've seen it in FIFA and UEFA, you know, there's no point going over that. We could be here to fucking this time next year. But you even look at, even look at um, Jude Bellingham's comments last week um, after the Bayern Dortmund game where there's a couple of contentious decisions and he makes the comment, well, if you're going to put a referee who has already been um, proven to have taken bribes, then what what do you expect to happen? And, and that is the situation. 100%. This is, this is a billion-dollar industry. The people that own football clubs, they're not fucking about. They run states. They are that run billionaire hedge funds. They've got enough money to to tip the balance of power in the world. There is temptation there, and there are opportunities there. And there is corruption in the English game, and there's no doubt about it. Now, what level that's at, you know, there needs to be serious investigations into, but you look at the statistics of certain referees with certain clubs, you look at certain decisions which go regularly in the favour of, of certain teams or cup draws which regularly go in the favour of certain teams and against others. For certain players, whether and whatever motivates people. Whatever to do motivates. That. And we're not necessarily saying that it's a financial gain, but it's, you know, whether it's unconscious bias, whatever it might be. But there's well, no. Yeah, often, often, often. That's true. It can just be down to uh, down to something like that, down to sort of some kind of prejudice that you hold even subconsciously. But at the same time, you know, there's probably probably financial incentive involved or favors or perks or whatever it might be, you know. Um, but when there are such obviously wrong decisions being made on such a regular basis, then there needs to be accountability otherwise you're going to get people like me questioning the integrity of the entire system and the entire sport because like i said where you have a culture of of no accountability and nobody takes responsibility for errors there's no real um there's no real jeopardy then you're going to get it. You, as you said, you're, you're setting up those those conditions. So those kinds of decisions need to be investigated. And they, Paul Tierney and, and more importantly, Kavanagh need to be held up in front of the, the referees board and they need to be made to explain what they saw there and, and why they're not giving it. I mean, it happened to us last season as well with supposedly, you know, one of the better referees, Michael Oliver, you know, the, the, the Pickford challenge. On Van Dyke, of course, ruined our entire season. The fucker doesn't even get sent for it. Doesn't even get booked, I don't think. You know, it's it's insane. What's going on there? Um, and I'm sure there are fans of other clubs who, who feel it just as much. Um, there's always been that idea that bigger clubs get favoured and whatever. Well, maybe. Maybe it's all relative. Maybe it's within, you know... The bigger the fish you are, the more money you have, or the, the the bigger that you're perceived to be, the more you get the rub of the green. I don't know, but it's it's not a level playing field, and it needs to be it, it needs to be much more transparent. You can't just make up rules as you go along, and, and just everyone hums the tune and goes, "Oh well, it evens itself out," because it does it fuck. <laughs> Quite honestly. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, whatever. So yeah. All right, so, you know, obviously the referees had a huge influence on the game. I think the other thing that's had a huge, a huge influence on the game, Chief, is the COVID situation. We rock up there with, with a midfield three of, of James Milner, Naby Keita, 
and, and Tyler Morton. And Spurs exploit that. Now, I don't think they necessarily target that area because they can't know specifically what's the situation um, before Conte kind of picks his teams and determines his tactics. But it certainly enables that to be as successful as it is. Um, and we've talked in length about the statistics when Thiago and Fabinho were playing together. Um, and the, the guys, they struggle a bit, don't they? Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's... It's a tough one for them because it's a midfield that's likely never played together. Um, and, of course, they're coming in to, to replace what is basically an all-star midfield. Certainly for us, it's our absolutely our strongest midfield. And, yeah, we, we have talked about the stats when Fabinho and Thiago played together. And it was just a couple of weeks ago where we're going, yes, thank thank God they're both back fit. And, um, obviously, Henderson involved as well, who really revels. And uh, shines when he's when he's got those those two behind him or beside him because he's got much more license to to play make essentially, um, which is what he does really really well. And um, you know it's a massive change. Obviously, Martin Tyler focused on the fact we had no Virgil Van Dijk, but basically we were missing our spine. Um, we were we were um, certainly certainly the the the, the um, the bulk of our spine, we're missing our entire midfield, central midfield three, and we're missing Virgil van Dijk out of the back four. Um, so, you know, you're you're really asking you're asking a lot. You know, obviously, obviously Spurs played well. You know, uh, Conte's had a bit of time. I don't know what the protocol is. You know, who was actually out with COVID for Spurs, but because um, they didn't disclose. Uh, which is another bizarre, bizarre situation, uh, which just adds to the general lack of transparency around football and the growing feeling of helplessness as a fan because you really don't have a clue what's actually what it's all about anymore, what's going on. But they didn't have to, they didn't disclose, so you don't know how long Conte's had to work with them. But certainly they hadn't had a game for a fortnight, um, and they played well. They had a plan. They marked Salah well, um, but in midfield we were just a, a little bit short. We were, um, and it was a far cry from from the first choice. So, so yeah, we struggled a bit, and we gave up quite a lot of chances, as we sort of mentioned earlier. I'm not sure if it was pre-pod or during the pod, but Spurs missed a, a lot of a lot of very presentable chances, and obviously Allison did did well to, to put the strikers off and stuff. But on another day, you would imagine. It could have bagged, you know, a couple more. So that is a little bit of a worry moving forward because I don't know how long um, those players are going to be out for, and whether the the situation will get worse um, for us before it gets better. So it's a bit of a kick in the teeth after just getting them back fit and playing together for what two or three games, and now they're both out again. Yeah, yeah, it's frustrating that it's like it's still. I, I'm not sure if I'm not sure if. if Henderson had COVID, but it was certainly certainly been unwell. But you know, it could have been any four players. Um, but you're looking at those four. Yeah, massive. The, mid, the, the midfield three, and I think just just to come on, we, we, you know, we, we talked in length previously about the the influence that Fabinho Thiago Axis kind of has. Um, and you've you've touched on Henderson's influence as well, but I think there's. There's kind of two things here. Um, Henderson's absence, I think, has a profound impact on that right-hand side. Um, that triangle between him, Salah, and Trent has been pivotal to how potent our attack and threat has been this season. And when you take him out, and there's maybe a few players you can pop in there. Like we've seen, we've seen Curtis Jones come in and do it. You know, a decent kind of decent kind of level. Um, I think kind of kind of kind of tried to do it, but it's a very very different sort of player. Um, but what I think that did was Trent was fucking brilliant, um, mm. and he found himself in that midfield position more often than I've seen because I think. The fact that Henderson wasn't there 
encouraged him to go and do that. I think that's why he had such an influence on the game, or certainly one of the reasons. The other reason is because he's just fucking class. Um, but I think it also inhibits Salah's performance. Um, there's not that extra man to kind of take players away from him, to create space that has that, what looks like a really brilliant developing relationship with that little kind of ball inside the fullback that we've seen Henderson play time and time again to Salah this season. Um, so, yeah, for me, we've talked, you know, we t- we'll talk about the goal. We score two goals. This is great. And we talk about the issues protecting the back four. And, but I think we're, we kind of gloss over the fact that we're, I think, as inhibited going forward with the midfield issues as we are defensively. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's obviously it's the the part of the the team that that knits the other two together, um, and it has a massive massive effect going both ways. Um, you know, we talked earlier in the in the season when we'd had those couple of sort of stuttering performances drawn against Brentford, and I think we had another draw, which was sort of yeah Brighton. Um, the the two two, where we you know we were talking about um, basically the issues we had in central midfield at the time, and at that time it was was injuries, and then we got the lads back, Henderson, Thiago, and Fabinho, and you know we went what three or four games barely conceding, um, and looked back to our sort of imperious best. In fact, maybe even a few more games than that, maybe six seven games. Um, I think we were going for seven wins in a row on Saturday. Um, so, um, you know, not too shabby, but the, yeah, the issues have cropped up again. No surprise when we've, we've lost that midfield and all three of them, not just, um, not just one or, you know, um, so, you know, you're making wholesale changes in there and you're playing a midfield as we previously mentioned that's barely played together a midfield that's barely had any minutes this season, even individually. Um, you know, Miller's played a few, well, featured prominently enough, but also has been out injured. Naby Kite, of course, uh, featured a little bit, but issues as well. And Tyler Morton, just a, just a kid really, and making his sort of in his breakthrough season. And um, he's had, a, what, a handful of starts. So, um very few minutes individually, very few, no minutes probably on it in, in the first team collectively as a, as a trio. Um, so you are going to suffer. I mean, Trent, Trent's new, not new, but uh, developing role is, is, is interesting because he's, you mentioned there, he, he almost played at, at six at times. And I think you could see that as well in the, in the previous game. Um, so that is something that's, um, that is coming and Klopp always feels these questions about um, will he move in the midfield but it's sort of a, he, he almost plays there at times anyway so you, you just name him where you name him and, and, and let him go but he's really I mean Trent is a is a massive plus point coming out of coming out of every game really this season he's, he's just he's, his level's gone up again and he's really looking to, to dominate games now and He's capable of it. I mean, he, we could have taken the lead. Robbo probably should score from that header. Trent sets, sets him up full back to full back uh, in the first five minutes. Um, again, if we score there, different game. And he's obviously he gets gets his goal in the week, and he can another assist there at the weekend. Um, so he's. He's putting the numbers in. He's putting the performances in, and he's able to do it now in in several positions really, and he tends to do that in one match rather than rather than sort of uh, you know starting in a different position or anything. He just it just tends to fluidly happen. So yeah, but we are. It is con- you know it's a case of getting getting the players back again, and that's why this COVID thing is kicked us in the balls again, really a little bit. So in a way, we do well with all those things kind of going against us to come out with a draw away from home at Spurs, a rejuvenated Spurs, um, who played well. But ultimately, again, as I mentioned earlier, it's sort of a lesson in frustration watching the game. Um, 
because, again, you know how good you, you can be, um, but you're sort of being nobbled a wee bit again by the circumstances. Yeah, you have been. Um, I think just before we before we wrap things up on on Spurs, just briefly, um, Maddox great, Canate's great. Um, if I'm being really, really, really critical, I think he could be a little tighter to Kane for the goal, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm being really, really picky there. I think he's super. Um, they're so front fruit. He's so front fruit. Maddox at his absolute galloping best. And I think you're right. I think, you know, just lazily the, the fingers pointed at Van Dyke's absence for, for the, the issues that we experience. But it's not that at all, is it? Because those two lads are fucking super. Um, it's, it's, it's the midfield issues. Absolutely, it's a, um, you wouldn't go so. Of course, it's not a hole there, but it's it's a huge. We ask our midfield to do so much, and that's why we need the best players in the world, essentially, in their positions to play in there. Okay, you might argue they're in the top five best players in the world in in their position, but they're they're right up there, you know. And the other lads within, they're all good players. Morton's going to go on to be a cracking player. Naby Kaida is. You know, Klopp des- described him as the second best midfielder, only to Thiago. So he's a, he's a, he's a top player. James Milner, we know what he can do, and everybody knows what he can do, and how good he is, and how consistent he is. But when you're asking those three to play together to to essentially cover three of three of the best in their positions in the world, certainly two of the best, and and one who's who's right up there as well in in Jordan Henderson, certainly in the way we play and how he makes us tick. It's huge. It's huge. And we are going to suffer. And that's, you know, where they were getting a little bit of time on the ball to, to play those passes either in behind or over the top to the likes of Kane and Son. The ball was coming through, you know, and if you've got a Fabinho and a Thiago in there, that's that's not happening. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> interesting that 50 minutes and we haven't even discussed the goals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there was a lot, a lot, to, a lot to discuss. I mean, the goals yeah. are the goals, but, aren't Yeah, but it's it's that sort of day. It was that sort of day, wasn't it? Where the goals that we score kind of inconsequential because for us, they they don't really amount to anything, add up to anything. But I think it's worth noting that um, Salah's quiet. We still score twice. We should still score more. We're, although he's absolutely amazing, he's on the periphery of the game, and we're still very, very dangerous, um, which can only be encouraging. Um, Jota gets another goal, another header, um, and oh, like my favourite sort of header that. Um, it because it looks like you shouldn't score. It looks like the keeper should save it, but it's near but most rooted. He's rooted because. Just taking a little step, just a little step, or just shifting his weight a little bit because the cross is coming that way, and it's a natural human instinct. Um, and also, there's a massive gaping hole the other side of his net. Jordan just puts it, not even in the corner, not even not not right in the line, not up not up on the roof of the net. Just heads it and knows that that Lurie's can't move. And I think it's a really underrated finish. It's a it's an intelligent finish. Um, he's thought about it. I think. A lot of players would try and glance that across into the far corner, but actually, that's exactly how you score that goal. It's a classic um, header, isn't it? Just heading it back the way it's come because yeah, and it's the, not even really back the way it's come because it's kind of standing front post anyway. But it but it is at the same time, you know. Well, it's that as you said, you know, the keeper's naturally going to take a step as the cross comes in to the side of the goal that's that's empty. So if you meet it, time it right. Any kind of sort of heading back the other way, and in, in any way, the keeper's got to be planted and, and can't can't get back. It's lovely. It's a lovely goal. It's it's yeah. a, a picture book goal almost like. Yeah. Um. So on the rest of the league cup, which will be like if you're listening to this tonight, 
provided we don't have our technical problems and our Christmas holiday problems. Um, it's a quarterfinals. Like, how many fucks do you give, Chief? Honestly, with the whole situation and the players out and whatever, I I really don't care. I actually would, you know, you never want to lose because you you don't want the momentum to be lost and whatever. And any time Liverpool play, you want them to win, of course. But is it a two-legged semi-final? No, it's a Crystal Quarters. Yeah, no, I know, but it, you know, it's always yes, it a two-legged. Yes, it, 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 it is a two-legged so semi-final. So that, those yeah. are two games I don't want in January. Or it's Feb. In, yeah, it's January, isn't it? Usually end of January, start of February. Those are two games you just don't want. Would you like to be League Cup champions if they, you know, if this you said now like you go through it all and you win it? I suppose. But even then, I'm not that arsed because it probably affects our ability to go on and and win the league or win the or win the Champions League, and therefore I'm I'm really not bothered about this this competition. If he plays an absolute fringe side, and we win, then then I'm all for it and play the fringe side again in the semis. But I don't want to be putting out, you know, the first team for for a two-legged set league cup semi-final in, in January. So I don't know how you feel about it. I mean, I don't want to be a, a sports board on it, but I'm really... No, no, I, I get what you're saying. And honestly, until Sunday, I was like, just go and fucking win it. Just go and win the thing. Um, but given the issues that we've had, um, given the, the fixture congestion, given the African Nations Cup, which will put more... Yeah, we can talk about... We can talk about the removal of the quality of, of Mane, Salah, etc. Um, but what it does do is it, it puts a greater physical pressure on the other players, your Jottas, um, your Origis, and your Minaminos, maybe even your Oxley Chamberlains, if, if Klopp wants to do that weird false nine thing that he's doing with them. Um, and, and those can I tell you as well? No, Canate's French. Oh, is he? Is he? Okay. Fair enough. I know you just don't think it because there's a there's so many good players that loads of good French players don't get picked for France and he's one of them. Um so yeah, so that that's so Laporte got so fed up with not picking for France that he just declared for Spain and went and played for them yeah. in the Euros. You know. So um so yeah, I, I feel like kind of on board with you now. If he wants to throw a fringe side out, and if they get through, then throw a fringe side out in the semis. The issue that I have is that I don't think Klopp does that, does he? No, I don't. That's that's yeah, not against Leicester. In the, in the, no, I even like. I mean, maybe he throws a fringe side out quarters, but certainly not we, semis. Yeah, but certainly not semis. I, I I don't think he does. I think he goes. I think he goes kind of Champions League Porto sort of situation. To be yeah, absolutely. I think you will see a, a very much a second string side against Leicester. Um, I think because obviously we've referenced the COVID situation, but also the the double whammy coming up with the game on the twenty sixth and the twenty eighth, and it's uh, Leicester again on the twenty eighth in the league. So I think um, I think we'll definitely see a. a very much uh, at, at what, what is known as a League Cup side in the League Cup. And um, I hope that that is the way we go. I mean, Arsenal battered Sunderland tonight. It seems like a competition that's that's right for Arsenal this year. Let them go and win it and let us be more concerned with bigger prizes. Yeah, but it does seem like a, it does seem like a, conversi- a, 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 it does seem like a competition and a season where Arsenal do that thing that Wenger did where they play their kids all the way through or their, their friends all the way through to the final and then lose. Lose against Arsenal. Are City still yeah. in it? Yeah, it must be. No, City are out. City are out. Oh, yeah. Tampa, City are out, yeah. So they did, eh? Yeah. So, on that note, Arsenal and fourth chief, just thought I'd throw that in there. Ooh. You know, well, they had a, an easy run against our next opponent, so that's a nice yeah. segue. You know, you, you all, you all laughed, you all laughed at the start of the season when I suggested Arsenal might be in there with a shout, like literally sniggered at me as though I was some sort of moron. 
But <laughs> telling you, Arteta, Arteta is the next. He's the next to Rigo Saki. Yeah, I'm still telling you, Spurs will get fourth leg, like, but uh, we'll, <laughs> probably, probably, um, because usually I'm wrong. So I'm sorry about that, Arsenal. So yeah, so Leeds finish us off, Chief. Leeds is the game following that in, in quick succession, and they're having a horrible time. There's like 40 million injuries, and it's kind of that. Uh, the thing I say to people all the time: if you feel like you're having, if you feel like you're having a bit of a bit of bad luck, one thing you can do is take a look around you because there'll always be some poor sod that's worse off than you. And we're kind of looking around, feeling sorry for ourselves at the minute. But just take a glance up the road to Yorkshire and Ellen Road because they're having an awful, awful patch with injuries, COVID situations at the minute and based on the way Bielsa's teams play and, and, and his his lack of willingness to compromise on that, which I totally respect and I've no time for these people that just decide that, you know, why don't you just like sit a bit deeper and kick them all away for a while? No, because they've never been coached to do that. So why would he suddenly start telling them to do that? It's it's moronic to say anything like that. That's a situation that lends us and this team the way that they've been decimating sides and putting the ball in the net so often um, to make it a fairly enjoyable and comfortable comfortable day for us. Absolutely. I mean, Leeds are a perfect side for us to, to face at the moment. And yeah, they are getting it pretty tight in terms of injuries and uh, COVID and, and essentially a lack of form um, because of that, as a result of that. Um, every time I seem to watch them recently, they've, they're they're struggling. Um, obviously they got battered by City, uh, which was, you know, an embarrassment, and they've just got taken to the cleaners by Arsenal, which was also fairly um fairly comprehensive. Uh, I think it was three nil, three one four one. Um, Arsenal were done and dusted really in the first in the first half. Um. And this isn't, although it's not a bad Arsenal team, Dave. It's not, but it's not a, it's not a, a vintage Arsenal by by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's certainly not. Very much a young team, sort of finding its feet. Um, Leeds, yeah, I mean Leeds are Leeds. They're going to play that way, and even when they have their full complement of players, you'd fancy us to to beat them as we have done when we played them uh, when we played them last season. And I would expect us to to go on and, and do the same. I think it'd be quite an enjoyable game. I think you know you could see certainly if if um, we're not back to something like full strength in in the midfield, you could see um, goals at both ends. But I would back us to to score a hatful really against them, the way they play. Um, if Arsenal were easy, able to carve them open and so easily at will, essentially. Um, and eased up in the second half, um, then you would only fancy this Liverpool with its with its firepower um, and front four to to score readily, as as they say. So yeah, um, it's it's quite a it's quite a, a a nice game to to kick off the post Christmas period, um, followed as it is by Leicester forty eight hours later. Um, it's at Anfield. It's Boxing Day. You know, crowd will be up for it. Um, football's still going ahead, so um, you know it should be it should be a, a lovely, lovely tonic early kickoff. Um, not the best, I suppose, but um, yeah, with the they've had the two wins all season. I think one was against Norwich, one was against Watford. Um, they're one. I think they've one win in the last five. Perhaps lost, um, yeah, lost the last three uh, against Chelsea, City, and Arsenal. So um, and conceded, I think, fourteen, four hundred and sixty, fourteen in those three games. So yeah, the way the rate we're scoring, I back us to to score a hatful really. Um, whether we are a little bit leaky at the other end as well, or whether we are uh, but more determined to kind of um, eradicate any any individual errors and uh, and tighten up a bit. We'll we'll wait and see. 
but I'd be hoping and expecting a, a good performance and a and three points, really. Okay. Let's hope so. Um, it looks as though the way City are going at the minute and, you know, with with the COVID issues flying around, I think, you know, they're, they're a team that may benefit from this above above any other team with the, the depth that they have. Uh, not even the depth they have, but the quality and depth that they have. So that's what happens when you're owned by a, a, a country and they could be on the country. Just a, just a, yeah, well, we'll not get into that. So, until next time, um, thanks for joining us sporadically over the Christmas period. And um, yeah, up the fuck, Tierney and Cavanaugh Reds. <laughs>